Hi, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. Today is episode 128. Logan is back from his jaunt to the American Southeast. And we're going to talk about a recap of the IWF show in Atlanta that he attended. Special thanks to Shaper Tools for sponsoring today's episode. They're the makers of that Shaper Origin, the handheld CNC router that brings digital precision to the craft of woodworking. Tackle joinery, cabinetry, hardware installation, and more with speed and precision. Try it risk-free in your shop for 30 days. Visit shapertools.com to learn more. You also want to check out, they just launched their new plate and studio uh, that add to the Shaper system. So there's a lot going on there and a lot of uh, really fun things that Shaper's been working on. So you definitely want to check them out. Is there, is the new uh, Shaper plate produced by Franklin Mint? Yes. Good. I yes, mean, the value is not yes. guaranteed to go up, but. I think it it's a good investment. It probably mm -hmm. will. Yeah. Probably yeah. will. Yeah. I'm interested. Yeah. They're, they're, they're commemorative. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, so before we move on to new business, I have some old business. Uh, All right, bring it. to the last last episode. I uh, had a All complaint. Right. Um, so I have a note or corre correction to make. Uh, apparently in that podcast, I mentioned that my dad was in his 70s. He turned 70 <laughs> in June. So he is 70, not in his 70s. <laughs> okay. Let that this be written in the records. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, That's noted. I mean, we're human, so we're going to make some mistakes, but some right. of those like that we should have caught well beforehand. Right, right. Oh, yeah. Like, they should have never made it to press. Right. Yeah. I'm just trying to avoid litigation here. Yeah. So, my apologies. <laughs> we had uh, some comments. Uh, Walt and Brandy says, back to school is the most wonderful time of the year. And I will agree with that because when my wife starts going back to school shopping, she is humming that song most of the time through the store as she's going along. As um, You'd think it's Christmas, but it's actually back to school. So... Mm -hmm. Craig Vaughn writes, thoroughly enjoyed this episode. I appreciate John and Phil sharing their personal history and life experiences. As a child, I grew up in a small church, where I still attend today, and has that has post and beam trusses along with quarter sawn white oak altar doors and pews. I remember staring them staring at them as a child and now fifty plus late years later, and after a thirty one year career in law enforcement, I'm a professional woodworker and furniture maker and blessed with work. Following a passion is good in theory, but make sure you have the ability and means to do it, or it will be a failing endeavor for a variety of reasons. Thanks for the show, and Phil, please don't grade me too harshly on my prose. Good day. <laughs> All right, Logan. So yes. you were at the International Woodworking Fair. Uh, John mm -hmm. and I, probably in, in jealousy, but... You could maybe clear this up for us. If yeah. you're going to call it a fair, it needs to have butter sculptures and corn dogs. And were those present at the IWF? They were not. Maybe okay. corn dogs. I don't know. There's kind of some food places around. I didn't see anybody with corn dogs. Saw people with barbecue. Saw people with other stuff, but not corn yeah. dogs. So is it the fair or festival? I'm going to have to, they're probably going to have to change the, yeah. 
Yeah, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Just, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> which is worse. So, no, it was it was cool. I mean, I don't know. I would guess. I mean, this is just an assumption on my part. I would assume that most of our listeners have probably never been to IWF, and it's not really geared towards a hobbyist. Now there were a lot of hobbyists there. Um, but most of the companies like in our industry. Um, or our segment of the industry, we're not there. I mean, they were not there in a booth format. So, like, you're not going to walk around and see Rockler with a booth or Woodcraft with a booth. Um, there were a few Shaper, where my t-shirt came from. They had a booth. Um, uh, Panzer Rider had a booth. Um, oh, Some others had booths that people probably know of uh, like find the dust extractors they had a booth Merca had a booth um, but the IWF show is really geared towards that cabinet shopping up crowd so I'm sure people like I'm sure Ikea had reps there looking for CNC machines that will pick up a sheet of plywood first they'll the CNC machine will go get a pallet of plywood bring it to itself grab a sheet of plywood, put it in the CNC, and then out the other end comes a completely sprayed and lacquered flat pack bookcase. Like, that's the type of people that are at this show where they are just absolutely massive CNC companies that that are geared towards industrial. Um, I mean, that being said, there was a lot of, there was a lot of stuff. I mean, you're talking three buildings, absolutely chock full of stuff. Um, it was kind of cool to see a trade show get back to that size after COVID, um, and stuff. So, you know, we visited Bessie, I think, uh, you know, between 12 and 18 meetings a day with people we work with, advertisers, stuff like that. So it was a good show. It was a lot of walking. I, the chunky man that I am have not done that much walking ever in my life and, and maybe droop at the print trade shows. But um, it's like 20,000 steps a day. It's like 10 miles. Like, holy cow. And Jack, our, our advertising guy, he's 6'4". I'm like 5'10 on a good day. So it's like my little legs are going like this really fast trying to keep up with him. <laughs> so I actually burned way more calories than he did. <laughs> so, uh, But no, it was, it was cool. I, I didn't see anything super new. I did get to see the Shaper Plate and the Shaper Studio, which were actually really cool. Um, the, the Shaper Plate, I think this is all released now, so I can't, I mean, we can't spoil it anymore. Um, the Shaper Plate is, is meant to be like a fixture for quickly locating, installing hardware. Now you can do much more than that with it, but that's kind of, I think where the biggest appeal of the Shaper Plate, uh, is in my opinion, it comes with some registration, uh, items on it, some clamps, and you can use it kind of as a crosshairs to, to position hardware and shaper has put together a little coil bound or spiral bound book of, I don't know, there has to be a hundred pieces of hardware in it from different manufacturers. So you can like go to the Brusso section and it will give you all the Brusso hardware that they have uh, programmed into the shaper or into the origin. And then you scan the QR code out of the book with the origin and it pulls it up and it will route your hardware mortise 
or area perfectly. It's awesome. Oh, that so, is cool. Yeah. Um, so that's that's super awesome. Now, obviously, you can do a lot more with Origin than just that. Um, the the Shaper Studio is pretty cool. It's like a if you take I don't want to say if you take SketchUp and dumb it down a bunch, but that's kind of what it's like. It's very intuitive. So um, Adi from Shaper um, was is like their soft. I don't know if he's their software developer or if he's their software product lead. He was demonstrating it for me. Um, it's it's a very like simple like hey here you can draw shapes. Um, there's a bunch of there's like three million pre-programmed shapes in it. So like think of clip art, but not really clip art. I mean it's not like it's not like Intarsia balloon animal clip art. Um, it's like actual <laughs> decent shapes. Um, but you can you can draw simple shapes and very quickly like merge them and stuff and extract shapes out of those. So like, you know, if you're doing like a, a keyhole, like an actual keyhole slot, you know, you can draw a circle and a rectangle and merge those two shapes. I mean, it's it's very intuitive. And I think I think people will really to understand are going to have to watch a video on it. Um, but it was it was pretty cool. That was one of the more cool things I seen at the show, at least for our segment. I mean, there's some I mean, there's cool stuff, but um, for for us hobbyists, that was one of the more cool things I saw. And Panto Router has a couple of new accessories coming out that I'm pretty excited about too. Um, I mean, they were at the show, so I mean, they're they're air clamps is what they are. So instead of using their kind of ratchet cam clamps, right. um, they have some new air clamps coming out, which will be really cool. Um, That'll be a, a good addition, I think, for speed in production and a couple different template holders and stuff. So, um, nothing too crazy. I did get to lay my eyes for the first time, for the second time, on the new Oliver machinery, which is kind of interesting. Um, because I think you guys know I've been on this like vintage machinery kick now. Kind of what I do, I just get on kicks for a while. And if I'm self-aware, it's not a problem. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yeah, you can stop anytime. I could stop whenever I wanted. Uh, but um, Oliver kind of Oliver made stuff in Michigan up until I think like the '70s, and then Oliver the name kind of went away. It went through some weird transitions, kind of like General International has, where it got sold to a Taiwanese company. Um, but Oliver is now back to making machinery um, in the Taiwanese factory, so it's not made in America anymore. Um, but they are kind of doing it like the traditional Oliver way, where it's like everything's way bigger than it needs to be. I'm like, do I need that 18-inch belt sander? Nope. But do I want it? Yes, just because it's huge. You know? Um, so um, that was kind of cool. They had a lathe there that they were showing off that kind of red like old school oliver type um you know big heavy cast iron everything on it um what's kind of cool uh, i'm trying to think of what else we saw that was was super awesome met with the the harvey international and uh bridge city folk they were they were pretty cool um anybody that's seen heart the harvey brand popping up lately um, or knows Bridge City Toolworks. Um, Harvey is the owner of Bridge City Toolworks. Um, and for how much... They're still... I think Harvey's still a fairly small player 
in the machinery world in the U.S. market. Um, they're sure. direct. If if you look at their machinery, they kind of have very nice, very appealing specs for the price points that they're getting. Um, uh, Stumpy Nubs, James Hamilton is is uh, sponsored by them, um, and he really likes their stuff. Um, so they're they're becoming a much bigger player, I think, in the U.S. machinery market. Um, they only have like five people in the U.S., which is crazy. That it's it's such a small team that is really pushing this stuff out through the U.S. Um, uh, but we met with those guys. They're they're super awesome people. Um, every this is the thing I've I've said it in the past. There are very few people. Um, maybe I've only said it in my editor's letter, but there are very few people in the woodworking industry and community as a whole that are a holes. You know what I mean? Like most people are just good <laughs> people, which is is kind of fun. So. Um, yeah, it was it was a good show. Nothing super right. earth shattering that I saw, but you know, not. I think we're at the point in the industry that there's not going to be anything super crazy come out. Although somebody, somebody was telling me, I think I know who it was, was telling me that they do have something that is coming out that's going to change everything. In their words, not mine, but I don't know. I have no idea what that is, so. Let's see. It wasn't <laughs> nuclear ready for the show. i that much. Yeah. Was that? Nuclear powered tools. Yeah. Arc reactor powered <laughs> tools. Yeah. Tiny little it's arc reactors. It's the new Stark line. Yep. Yep. So the better question is, are we going to have any crates show up at our back door anytime soon? <laughs> <laughs> no. No, we're not. <laughs> no, John. I'm trying not to do that. Okay. You never I know. Mean, when you go out someplace, sometimes stuff just starts showing up. So, and that, I mean, that's fair. Know. Yes. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, no, 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 nothing Nothing right now. Um, okay. We'll wait. Maybe eventually, but nothing right now. Yep. All right. I did. So I did meet um, probably one of the most interesting guys that I've met in a long time um, when I was down in Atlanta. I kind of tail end of my trip teamed up with um, Rusty Chairness to do an article for Popular Woodworking on building spoke shaves. Rusty's a, uh, a very, um, very talented chairmaker. Um, and he's like, hey, I want to want to show how to build a spoke shave. I was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, and it was one of those like, we're hanging out in his shop doing photos and stuff. And it's like, wow, did we just become best friends? Yup. <laughs> so that was fun. <laughs> um, so I got a, I got a, a fondle a lot of his really awesome English tools that he owns, so that was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I told him I was like, I think this is going to be a very expensive friendship because he has a tool, <laughs> then I want that tool. Yep. So. And you've developed a certain proclivity towards the English miter plane form, haven't you? Yes. And I mean, I think I, it, yeah, I have, <laughs> I think English tools in general, I like, I, I don't know. I would say just okay. minor plane, like, like infills, English tools, right. you know, like I have that big jointer in the closet around the corner for me, Phil, that I need to finish. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like I just really like the, I like the aesthetics of them and I like, I mean, the minor planes work so nicely. Um, but I, part of me enjoys the history behind them. Like, 
you know, my dad was a, a history, has his master's in history and stuff. And it's like, I've always enjoyed that. So like America's a young country, right? We're only 300 years old, roughly. Yeah. When you go over to England, I mean, you can find hand tools from the, you know, 16th century if you look hard enough. Um, and right. just an older form, um, a little bit more history there with all the makers and stuff. So, um, I think, you know, some of that, you know, romance goes into that too, I think into the, into the appeal to me. Um, but yeah, I've really been enjoying the English style miter planes and infills and stuff. So yeah. And Rusty did not help that as I'm finaling his <laughs> Matheson and Spears and all of his really awesome planes that he's got. So sure. it was fun. So, and I mean, such a nice guy, fantastic chair maker. So I think I would like to continue the, the stories with him um, because I mean, he's an extremely talented guy. Um, and, so it's like, oh, this would be kind of a fun little series. You start with the spoke shave. Next project's maybe building a shave horse. Then the next project's maybe building a chair with the shave horse. So it, it kind of becomes like a, almost a chair building series. Right. Um, but it's weird how this stuff kind of aligns itself because I feel like it's like, oh, hey, I really would like to start working with a, a chair, a, a chair maker to show some of that that content. And then all of a sudden it's like, I'm flush with chair makers. Like, I don't know if yeah. it's like, you know, once you start looking, you find them. Um, because in two weeks I'm heading down to, um, Tennessee to do, um, an article with, um, Charles Brock from the Highland woodworking YouTube series, um, who is also a chair maker. I mean, so it's like, didn't mean for that to happen, but that's how we're doing it. <laughs> or, you know, I'll publish a, a turning story from Jimmy Clues, and all of a sudden I get like eighteen article submissions, and they're all great. But it's like, I'm not a turning magazine. I'm not a chair making magazine. We're an everything magazine, but I don't want to hit the same content over and over and over. I want to spread it out. So, yeah, that makes sense. <clears throat> yeah. Special shout out to Shaper Tools. They make that Shaper Origin, the handheld CNC that lets you do all kinds of cool stuff with your woodworking, whether it's joinery and construction or hardware installation or inlay and marquetry, all that kind of stuff. You can check out their site, shapertools.com, to learn more. So do you have any updates on your very large jointer that you purchased not long ago? I don't think we ever even talked about that. Did we? Because I, I know that we it. had we had left it as a cliffhanger at one point. I didn't remember if we. Well, it back we up. did because my wife didn't know about it. Not that she listens to our podcast. She doesn't want to listen to me more than she has to. So she doesn't listen to our podcast. Right. She found out about it. Whoops. Um, <laughs> no. So I yeah. So I bought a big jointer. It was for sale north of here. I know, like my buddy Jim here in town was looking at the same one, but he just doesn't have room for it right now. So thankfully I, I snagged, I saved it. I saved it from the landfill. Yeah. Um, who rescued who here? Well, yes, that's <laughs> a good question. Um, no, so I did. I bought a 24 inch jointer, Jay Towsley made in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, I believe I can't, there's not a whole lot of info on Jay Towsley as a company. Um, so Towsley was a, 
engineer, and he started his own company making machinery. He made, um, like carts, like big steel wheel industrial carts for manufacturing facilities. Okay. And then he started to get into the machinery side of it. Um, and he was a very talented engineer. Um, so he was actually recruited by, um, Faye and Egan company. And he worked for a couple different companies. He kept getting recruited. Not a whole lot of info on this. So, so best guess is judging by the, the machinery lot number. It was made in 1914. Um, okay. is my best guess. Um, she weighs 1800 pounds without the motor. Um, it doesn't have a motor, so it's, it's in, I'll, I'll put some pictures up on the show notes page. It's in, it's in fair shape. Table looks like it's in perfect shape. The table, you can still see the, the planer marks on it from when it was sent through the metal planer. Um, so a little bit of surface rust. Um, there are, it has the fence, no motor. Um, so, so backing up a little bit. I believe at some point when it was in operation, it was crashed pretty hard. So I mm. think the way that these this, these big planers or these big jointers work is the infeed table and the outfeed table are both movable. And they move on dovetailed ways. So you can adjust the infeed side and the outfeed side. Um, and I think, I think, uh, this is just an assumption on my part, I think you can adjust the outfeed side because as you grind knives and they get shorter and shorter, you want to lower that outfeed table. Makes sense. Um, you know, stuff back in the day was made to last and be reused, so they would you'd be able to adjust the outfeed side as well. Um, however, the infeed side, as you adjust the height down to take a deeper cut, the table gets a little bit further and further away from the cutter head. And I think what happened this is an assumption that nobody will ever know is that somebody was jointing something that had a large knot in it and the knot fell out and got jammed in between the cutter head and the infeed table. And what happened is there are two sacrificial metal. They're not sacrificial, but there's two like metal um, lips that are riveted on to the infeed and outfeed table, which are cast iron um, and these malleable metal lips. The infeed side is bent and broke. Um, so I need to have a new one of those machined. But I think that also probably destroyed the bearings that held the cutter head. Now, I can't uh, tell, looking at old pictures, I can't tell if they were Babbitt bearings or if they were roller bearings. My assumption is that they were Babbitt bearings, which would be um, a, a steel housing with lead poured in, and then there's an oil hole that is that feeds the lead with oil. A lot of people are like, yeah, Babbitt bearings are junk. You need modern roller bearings. Well, actually, like, well-maintained Babbitt bearings will outlast roller bearings by, you know, lifetimes. You know, like, there are still machines that run daily that run Babbitt bearings with the original Babbitts in them. Um, but, long story longer, there are no bearings on it. So there's no way to hold the cutter head. So... The cutter head itself is also slightly damaged from, I believe, this crash. There's two knife slots that are tweaked. They're bent a little bit. Right. So my initial plan was to have new knife gibs machined for this head um, and, and just use it as a straight knife machine. However, now that I see that those knife slots are bent, um, I think it just is, you know, go straight to a helical head with it. I mean, helical heads are expensive, but they give you such a nice, such such a 
better finish. Um, and they're quieter. Um, and the 24 inch jointer is not going to be a quiet machine anyway. So anything I do to help quiet it down a little bit. Um, so yeah, so I'm going to have to, I'm going to document this and I haven't decided where we're going to document it. If we're going to document it in popular woodworking. If we're going to document it as a shop notes thing or, or where we're going to document it. But I want to, I want to kind of document this whole thing, um, as a vintage tool restore. Cause I think a lot of people see it as a ginormous task to refurb one of these vintage pieces of machinery, which I mean, it's work, but dollar for dollar, it's such a better value than most modern machinery. You know, I mean, you got right super heavy cast iron parts, highly precise machining on them. So, um, I'd like to, you know, tell the story somewhere. So yeah, so have to get some new, new bearings to hold a, a new head. So there's a lot of things that have to work. I got to get a new motor and it, you know, with a 24 inch joiner, it's not like I'm going to throw a half horse motor on it. It's going to need to be a seven and a half to 10 horse motor, probably a three phase and have to run it off of a variable frequency drive. But I have a feeling that this is going to be a bad, bad idea on my part because <laughs> like I just sent you guys a message this morning. I'm now looking at a 16 inch, Tanowitz table saw. It's like, I don't need to do this, but I can't <laughs> stop. It's a train wreck that I'm watching happen. Yep. So. Well, I think there's different ways of looking at old tool, old power tool restoration in that there are, you know, and you can call it like, you know, it ends up being almost like old cars where you have yeah. somebody that finds some old 1953 blah blah and they bring it back to like show car new like better than it was ever new as a car and then mm -hmm. the thing never gets driven for the most part except on the three days of the year where it's 70 degrees and no humidity and sunny yep or you know, you have somebody who's using an old tool, but it looks like it's about ready to just, you know, chew up Fall apart. people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I'm, yeah. cause I agree with you. I think using old tools offers an opportunity for really high quality machines at a low mm -hmm. entry point, but that doesn't mean that there isn't some work necessary and it's mm -hmm. just like, how much work do you want to put into it? Yeah. You know, and it's just like choosing, picking your battles on where you want to get, you know, it's like that article that Rob did for Woodsmith on radial arm saws. You know, there's a lot of folk mm -hmm. out there that still love using a radial arm saw for a variety of shop tasks. And because they've kind of fallen out of favor, you can pick them up pretty inexpensively and you yep. have the option of, you know, finding the nice ones and doing a moderate amount of work for it and having a really cool tool. Yeah. 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 You almost have to enjoy the, the process and the, the love of it more than the cost of, and convenience of, you know, trying to get a, a tool that, yeah. you know, can run right out of the box and get right. going. So see, I guess the thing that appeals to me the most 
and probably the I mean yes the history the history the the made in America you know this was made when you know everybody went to work with a steel lunchbox and they came home at the end of the day they all sweaty and grimy and stuff like to me there's that nostalgia like hey this was made in you know in Grand Rapids Michigan or Cincinnati Ohio you know it was cast and poured and Mm -hmm. right here on American soil you know that's cool but I think the thing that probably appeals to me more and probably what got me into the vintage tools, vintage hand tools more is the value. Like I, like I'm all, you guys know me, I'm always flipping stuff and buying crap and flipping it and stuff or buying crap and not flipping it, which makes my wife mad. Um, the, the, the fact that this joint, like, if I was going to go out and buy a new 24-inch jointer today, you could not buy one for under $18,000. I looked. So, do I need an eight, a 24-inch jointer? I don't, probably. Will I use it? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I wouldn't use it if I didn't have it. Um, but, like, to me, it's like, okay, you know, paid 1200 bucks for the jointer, maybe put another two grand into it between, you know, the, the cutter head will be more. Um, but, you know, so all told, I may be $3,500, $4,000 into this jointer. It's a lot for a jointer, but dollar for dollar, that would get me what? Probably an eight inch Powermatic jointer. Right. I mean, that's not going to be 2000 pounds. Um, that's not going to be 24 inch. It, so, to me, it's the it's the value of it. Now there is, with vintage machinery, there's you know oftentimes big costs associated with repairs and stuff if they're not standard things. Um, for example, I mean you know just taking this Tanowitz uh, table saw for example, it's a 16 inch diameter blade. That's a big blade. I'm guessing it's a one inch arbor on it. Probably, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what a 16 inch table saw blade uh, runs but I'll look quick. Uh, I'm guessing it's not going to be the hundred bucks that a <laughs> probably not going to be the hundred bucks that a uh, uh, forest is or whatever. So, you know, there, there's some give and takes. Yeah, no. And I get that. It's, and like we've said, it's, you got to pick where you want to, on a go on that. You know, like yeah. like John said, if you're interested in the mechanical aspect and the the understanding and the operation of cool tools, then there's definitely a cool factor in there. And yeah, I think it's also we also live in a day and age now where I think it's almost easier to work with older tools in the sense that. Uh, we have a lot more resources online, you know, for videos or articles on kind of the basics of bringing an old tool back to life, but also places like, you know, McMaster car, where you can find the parts that you need without having to Mm -hmm. haunt flea markets and machine shops and stuff like that, 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 you know, that replacing parts, I, th- I feel is a lot easier than it used to be. Yeah. Uh, side note, not near as bad as I thought. 16 inch woodworker two blade 
is 220 bucks. So it's not that bad. Hmm. Now, oh, okay. could you get a dado blade for a 16-inch table saw? I don't know. Because I'm not pompous. I don't need two table saws. I'd have to sell my yeah. saw stop if I bought that. <laughs> but no, I mean, you guys brought or up... your a, saw a good, stop is your dado saw. That's right. Uh, you guys brought up a good point that... And, and this is a large portion of... This is weighing on my decision whether I want to go down this rabbit hole of vintage tools is... In photos, oh, they look sweet. You know what I mean? Like, right. I to me, it's almost like, okay, I got to take photos for Popwood in my shop, um, you know, building projects, doing whatever. They look cool. I mean, they do. Now, it doesn't make it as easy to show something like a new table saw accessory that may not fit on, you know, a 1929 Tanowitz table saw. Little different. Um, yeah. But we have a second studio for that. So <laughs> there's a studio there in the office. So, right. you know, uh, there's that type of thing. Um, there's definitely an, an, uh, an ambiance and a, a look. Um, there was one of the uh, fine woodworking does their annual like workshop tools and issue, shops, yeah. you know, tools and shops issue. And I have it saved somewhere downstairs in my shop. Um, there was a, I can't remember whose shop it was, um, but uh, one of it, it's been probably ten years ago that they published it. But like it was this guy had a big, huge timber frame shop. One wall was like all glass windows, two stories. All of his machinery was this all this big old crescent and Oliver stuff, and I was just like, that's the shop I want. So super cool. Sure, I can see that. And now I just got to explain it away to my wife. <laughs> she, she happened to come up earlier as I was sending a message to this guy about this Tanowitz table saw and she looked over my shoulder and she's like I just came over here to give you a kiss now I just need to get out of here before I get mad <laughs> I'm like oh no <laughs> whoops I think it's kind of interesting because I feel like it you know you were talking about having it in photos but it also adds personality or uniqueness to it yes you know that there's a I mean I'm the kind of person in woodworking photos or videos where there's watching it for what's going on for the activity but then there's also looking at it for like what's what's that in the background there like that's a oh, cool yeah, way absolutely. to store hand saws like I would do that yeah yeah well and I would say like part of my hope is that it would spark questions you know, I mean, I don't know if you guys have heard. I like to talk, so I like to chat with people. Uh, so, like, I, I would hope that people would reach out and be like, "Hey, what the heck tables are you using? That thing's crazy. Why does it have eight cranks on it? Why does the table tilt?" Which is another odd thing. Like, I don't know how I feel about that. But like, I would hope that it would spark some of that type of conversation. Um, like, hey, sure. tell me about your joiner. Like, where did that come from? Why does it look like you could land three F-18s on it? Well, because you can. <laughs> well, I was like, it. there was a uh, a guy who wrote for Popular Woodworking. He's one of the owners of Benchcrafted Tools mm -hmm. out in Cedar Rapids, Jamil Abraham. Yep. Uh, he has a refurbed uh, Powermatic drill press from like yep. the seventies or something like that. And I think he did it as an article in the 
in the magazine or talked about yeah. it anyway. Yep. And it's super cool because it just the you know the industrial design of that tool it looks like like farm tractors from that era you know we just had the iowa state fair and one of my favorite things is to wander around by the uh 4-h building and the ffa kids who've restored old tractors i have a i have a soft spot in my heart for an old farm all a or a cub um and it's just like old tools have a have an appeal to them that kind of the bland boxes of you know probably starting in the 80s yeah through current ones you know except for small exceptions are all relatively interchangeable in what they look like mm -hmm. yeah well it's uh so that would be if people go to popularwoodworking.com and just so search old arn a-r-n you'll find it um, there's a picture of Jamil yeah. with his, with his drill press. No, it's like, I'll put a link to it on the show notes page too. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's like, I think, I don't know if like, you're right back in the late seventies, early eighties, like design to stop mattering. Well, that was a terrible way to say that design <laughs> stopped mattering as much as functionality, but functionality also started mm -hmm. to slip like this, this jointer, and I, I'll have a picture of it. I'll send it. Has a uh, uh, onboard fuse box, so it actually has you know old fiberglass or glass fuses in it. Um, but even the fuse box itself, it's bolted on the outside of the machine. Is this really cool? Like Art Deco has you know debossed ribs on it and stuff, and it's just like I want to keep that because it's it's like like somebody at some point spent the time to design this fuse box with some actual cool design like it looks super cool and it's yeah. it's the same way with Jamil's drill press like it's actually a pretty cool drill press yeah so yeah i think part of the allure and design of uh old tools is cuz they were built before plastic was invented and before safety was invented so <laughs> There's like a lure there. I'm just like, I want to touch it. You know, <laughs> the right. danger, the danger factor. Yeah. Yeah. You can see uh, all the spinning wheels and <clears throat> belts and gears and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Now I will say that has some, that is something that I have consciously avoided. Um, there was a, a fairly large, like 30 inch planer that came for sale, like a four hour drive from here. But it was like all like everything was open, like open yeah. feed rollers, open leather belts. It's like I don't want that. I mean, yeah. Call me, you know, I'm getting older. I'm getting a little smarter as I get older. It's like <laughs> uh, because something could get caught in there pretty quickly. So I, I've been very conscious to try to make sure I'm looking at stuff that is safe has safeguards in place, some safeguards mm -hmm. in place, you know, belts covered, rollers covered stuff. You could get caught in, you know, one of the mm -hmm. considerations I I'm taking into account when I get new pillow block bearings for this jointer uh, is I want to make sure that the pillow block bearings that I pick up have covers available for them. So you don't have an open-ended shaft spinning where you're, you know, you're basically right. at belt level. Um, seems like a terrible place to get caught. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. 
Well, it's like seeing old band saws where the wheels are just exposed or it's just, you know, it almost looks like a goat panel that's, you know, covering it. Like you could still reach yeah. your arm in there. Yeah. There's, there's been a couple of big American band saw or American brand band saws that I've looked at and big old crescents I've looked at. There's one for sale in Bogstown, Indiana, which is right next to Indianapolis. Um, and I'm like, oh, that's one of those things. Like, yeah, you you could. I've seen people build shrouds around them, like wood shrouds, right? Um, but they look janky then. So it's like, I want to find one that has actual doors. Something about a, you figure 36 inch wheels on that thing. That's probably a 19 and a half foot blade. I'm guessing. Yeah. Like if you. Most of us, I don't think, break bandsaw blades on our bandsaw, but I've broken them on my sawmill, and they shoot far. And boy, if you didn't have a, <laughs> if you didn't have some form of something to contain that blade if it broke, whew, that would not be fun. Yeah, self ejecting. <laughs> yeah, it it's sure is. Self unloading yeah. when it breaks. <laughs> and actually, I found some bandsaws have wooden tires on them, which is crazy. Yeah, that's like, weird. Like they'll they'll actually have a steel wheel, but then the tires themselves are are um, and it wouldn't be Cooper, but they're like yeah, they're like wooden tire, which I'm like okay. I mean, I don't want to try to remake that. Yeah, it was like it feels like some things you just don't keep original. Yeah, that's one of them. So, John, any updates from you? Oh, no. As far as what I'm working on is pretty much the same stuff. Um, still trying to get all the drawings for the the built-ins um, that I've talked about for the next uh, issue of Woodsmith Magazine. So, got all the main stuff done. It's just getting all the little parts drawn in and all the fun stuff. So, so I'm trying to wrap up here by the end of the month. Or I guess okay. the beginning of the month as people are listening to this. So... <laughs> depending on when you're listening. Right. But. All right. I think that takes care of another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. If you are a fan of old woodworking tools, particularly power tools, I'd love to hear from you. You can send us a, an email with some photos of your uh, restored or hope to be restored power tools. You can send them to woodsmith at woodsmith.com. Or you can leave questions, comments, and smart remarks on our YouTube channel in the comments section there. Uh, keep in mind, we'll have a show notes page for this episode at woodsmith.com slash podcast. Special shout out to Shaper Tools. Uh, they make that Shaper Origin, the handheld CNC that lets you do all kinds of cool stuff with your woodworking, whether it's... Uh, joinery and construction or hardware installation or inlay and marquetry, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you can check out their site, shapertools.com to learn more. And we'll see you next week, everybody. Bye.